It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Ed. All right. And yeah, two of us are convening on Friday night, 24 hours after we have played Sheriff Tiraspor in the Europa League. Uh, We kind of missed recording last week's podcast because of all the disarray with match cancellations and things like that. I'm sure there isn't anybody who needs to be told that our queen has died and that's why there's been all sorts of fixture chaos and in fact yeah we don't even have a game this weekend either which is a bit of a killer uh so yeah last two games have been kind of back-to-back europa league games we lost to real sociedad and now we've beaten sheriff tiraspor just last night we will focus on that sheriff game also just have a chat about these match cancellations uh matches coming up we've got international break and we'll have a quick kind of touch on the Women's Super League because that was the kind of big focus of our last show. But look, Ed, let's get straight into last night's game. Uh, you know, we'd had a kind of weekend off yeah. and it was just the two Europa Leagues kind of back-to-back. It was quite interesting because in the first game, he went for quite a changed lineup, And then because we hadn't played last weekend and we're not playing this weekend, he pretty much reverted to what you'd call our first eleven, right? Yeah, well, I also think... Having lost to Sociedad, he needed to get a result so that we had the three points in the group as well. So I think that's also why we had a sort of a stronger lineup as well. Um, yeah, which, makes not, sense. Not surprising, really, is it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, we needed to get some points on the board uh, after that kind of iffy start that we had over there. And as I gotta say, it was actually it's relatively rare that we have like an easy win. Like we've even been to places like this, whether it was like. Astana or Krasnodar or Luhansk, all these random yeah. kind of Eastern European destinations that we managed to find ourselves in. And uh, they're never like that easy, uh, although at least this was kind of like September time. Like when you end up there, yeah. in, like the middle of like January, and it's like sub zero temperatures. But yeah, thankfully we didn't have any of that. And I don't know, it's really, it was about as easy as a win as we've had for a long time, wasn't it? Yeah, routine, just routine. And it, we never looked like we were in any sort of trouble. Uh, the football was a bit flat, I suppose, but like, uh, you know, we created when we needed to and we we got a couple of goals in the end. Yeah, I think we did what we needed to do. They barely like pushed us. You know, there was the odd couple of like chances they had here and there. But as you say, it's very rare for us to have these kind of routine wins. I mean, the second half in particular was a kind of non-event. 
Um, but like, I mean, one of the big talking points, of course, is I say it was the first 11, but Rashford was injured. So Ronaldo has started these games back to back. And look, let's be honest, he's not set the world alight right. I mean, I know for a start, you are not the biggest fan of Cristiano Ronaldo anyway. And you were like one of the kind of ones who was quite dubious about when he was first signed. Um, I've been looked like, so where are you on Cristiano now? Well, I just struggle to see what he offers. Like, you know, when he's not getting the ball, he drops. It's like watching Wayne Rooney towards the end of his career, like him coming deep, but then just not doing anything with the ball. Or then, you know, there's been chances where he should have just hit it, just hit it at the goal and you'll probably score. But instead he's taking too many touches. It's really weird to watch actually, because it's not the Ronaldo you would, you know, recognise. He's just, He's taking too many touches, not really offering any sort of incision. And when he gets the ball sideways, you know, rarely going forwards. I just, you know, I, I, as much as I dislike him, I don't want to see him like this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it is kind of sad in a way. I mean, I still think he does have something to offer. I mean, there is a thread on Red Cafe right now saying, you know, is Cristiano Ronaldo finished as a top-level footballer? And, yeah, there's quite a lot of debate over there. I don't um, think that's the case, to be honest. I, you know, I I put money on him scoring at least 10, 15 goals this season. Yeah, look, it depends how many matches he plays. I mean, this is the big thing for him, that it's been a long, long time, and probably since he first broke through at Manchester United, where he's not considered like a guaranteed starter and has to kind of fight for his place from the bench. I mean, he's just not used to that. He obviously thinks that I should be number one. I deserve to start every game. We saw him last season, even when he got substituted, he was like making a big fuss about it. And uh, in fact, embarrassingly so, I thought. Um, And yeah, he's kind of dealing with it. He's kind of now finding his place in the squad. There is a World Cup coming up. He will be there as well. I mean, there's been some suggestions that he's not that bothered and he's happy to like preserve himself for the World Cup, which I don't really believe because no. I believe that he's a player who wants to be playing. He wants to be scoring. Uh, he is frustrated with his own play. But I mean, as you say, that is the main issue. That is his all-round play is lacking. He's not pulling out the kind of finishes that were saving his game last season. You know, he yeah. was pulling out kind of world strikes finishing off most of like the chances he should have done last season and got a decent goal record in the end. But, you know, most of us did say on this podcast that even though he was scoring those goals, he was not really contributing to the team and maybe even taken away from the kind of general team play. So, yeah, I mean, look, I've been happy that he's been made to fight for his place. But one of the big things we said, and I said especially, was that I think the area we're lightest in is up front. Uh, you know, we went into this season with really Martial as our first choice. He's managed what about forty-five minutes of football or something so far this season. Uh, second choice, forty-five minutes of world-class football. I remind you, <laughs> <laughs> he did. Get, I think he pulled a cyst out of it, didn't yeah. he? Um, then, yeah, Eric Ten Hag made that big call of basically deciding that Marcus Rashford is next in line ahead of Cristiano Ronaldo. And, you know, Rashford has been playing, I would say, out of position, really. His natural position is on the left side. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, he's done damn well there. You know, he scored a a few goals, got a couple of assists. We really cannot argue with his output in that decision, uh, in that position. But then, look, he's now injured as well. No. So there's really no other option apart from playing Ronaldo. I mean, if Ronaldo is now injured, what do you think our next option is? 
Garnacho, I guess. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's looking at... Bruno. It's, it's, it's Ericsson false nine. We've already seen it, haven't we? We saw it against um, oh, Bournemouth. I, I'm was... hoping that is never going to be an option again. Brighton. Because, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I was at that game and yeah, he abandoned that after 45 minutes. I hope that, I, you know, for me, if it's false nine, then Bruno is actually a better option than Ericsson. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you kind of throw a Langer in there. At least he's got that running. Maybe give Garnacho a run out. I mean, Charlie McNeil has now kind of been promoted to more or less the first team squad. Uh, he's, I don't think he's anywhere near ready for that. But yeah, I guess he is one of our kind of emergency backup players at the moment. But uh, I mean, I know, yeah, we've had quite a few questions from Twitter and all that, which we will be looking at and answering throughout the pod. But one of them came from our very own Oshwin and he's basically saying, look, you know, the state of where we're out front and how Ronaldo's going, do you think striker in that January window becomes a priority now? I, do you know, I don't know. It depends. It depends on the World Cup, doesn't it? I mean, if you've got some strikers who perform well in the World Cup, their transfer prices are going to go through the roof in the January transfer window. So it's going to be a difficult one. Um, there's been talk that Ivan Tony, if he has a good season, uh, we'd be interested in him. I'm not. Yeah, I mean, we probably do need to... I'd look at maybe bringing in someone on loan, like similar to what we did with Igalo, but I don't think we'll be looking to buy a striker in the January transfer window. Whether we need to or not, probably do, but I don't see the value for money there. I think it's actually an absolute desperate need. And I said even when Anthony came in, that I thought that money would have been better spent on a striker because, uh, you know, we do have other kind of wide backup players that can come in over there, whereas we're just, yeah, totally lacking in a proper striker. And even Martial, you know, we've seen over years and years that we can't really rely on him. No. So we are absolutely lacking that top-class forward player. Is somebody like Ivan Tony good enough? I think he's like the kind of best of the rest, where you look at, you know, who's outside of the kind of top six over there, then, yeah, you've got somebody like him, and there's a couple of others, I mean... He's not been hitting it this year, but yeah, last year people were talking about Ollie Watkins and these are the ones who get kind of talked up, but only after they've had a kind of couple of months yeah. of really yeah. hot. I mean, I do actually like Ivan Tony. I think he's like got a lot of the all-round play. Whether he can step up, we have to see. I mean, he has actually been called up for England. Whether he gets any game time there uh, to challenge himself on a bigger stage, we have to wait and see. But I do think that striker is our absolute priority. I, and, uh, I'm not we'll so sure. I, I, I think... I think the wing. I think Anthony's probably made us a far more balanced team, and I think we can do without a striker for the season, like a third or fourth striker for the season. To be honest, but I I do see where you're coming from. Well, I'm talking about a first choice striker. I mean, if you buy somebody like Ivan Tony, you're going to be spending I don't know, fifty, seventy oh, yeah, million, yeah. something like that at least. So yeah, you're talking about somebody who's expecting to start. Uh, so, but yeah. I, well, in that anyway. case, I don't see I don't see any strikers on the market that can just come in and do that. I don't, you know, I don't think there's anyone good enough to just be that guy. I think that is the problem. There is a dearth of kind of top class strikers, and you look at the ones who moved this summer. I mean, Liverpool paid a lot for uh, Nunez. Uh, we were apparently linked with him. He's not set the world alight as yet. So yeah, these are the kind of players who were moving for fees that were like way too much in my opinion. But yeah, look anyway, we're a few months away yet from that window. So we'll come to that in a couple of months time. And as you say, it'll be post World Cup. And you know, there's often players who kind of come through in World Cups that you hadn't really thought about before. Yeah. We'll see from there. 
Um, but look, let's go back to this game. Uh, you know, he was a kind of focus off it there. It, if we kind of tie in with that Sociedad game, you know, the players who came in and had a game, he gave some runouts to the likes of Casemiro, and I thought he was really poor against Sociedad. So he, he was he reverted to Scott McTominay. I mean, if you said to somebody a few weeks ago that Scott McTominay is going to be keeping Casemiro out of our team, I think uh, most people would have been pretty shocked about that. But yeah, that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah. Uh, he did actually change it up. Casemiro came in as a sub, and I thought he did a lot better later in this game, but he didn't really have as much to do, to be fair. Uh, you know, No. But he didn't have as much to do, but the few bits he did were, were really good. And yeah, promising. Like I say, that first game against Sociedad, he was definitely struggling. But, you know, you have to give somebody like that time to adapt to his team. Uh, Ten Hag did make a couple of comments himself saying that he's still trying to understand my way of playing. And I think for a player, you know, who's getting to like 30 years old, has played in a certain way, been very successful, to then be told, I don't want you to play like that and you have to do this, is probably quite a kind of difficult transition. And, you know, might take him a little bit of time there. So, yeah, we'll, we'll wait for Casemiro. I mean, I think eventually, surely, a player of that class, of that experience, will end up being a starter for us. But, yeah, at the moment, I think Scott McTominay deserves his place, doesn't he? Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, Scott McTominay, I dare to say, it, he's been almost flawless in the few games that he's played. I mean, he's, his passing is probably still slightly lacking, but that... That doesn't matter because the people he's got to pass to are Bruno, are Ericsson, who can just provide you with those incisive passes to, that, that Scott McTominay perhaps uh, is just out of reaching his game, certainly for deeper in. Um, so I, I do, yeah, he's, he's, he's been fine and he doesn't deserve to be dropped at all. I think, look, Scott McTominay has always been able to do that hard kind of what you know, I've always called the water carrier. Yes, I think yeah. it's actually uh, Eric Cantona called Didier Deschamps the water carrier years ago. And it's always stuck as that kind of hardworking midfielder role, doing the dirty work, just getting the ball and recycling it to more kind of, you'd say, talented, creative players. And I think that was always the problem when we had McTominay and Fred. Neither of them had that range of passing that we needed. Now that you get Ericsson, who can absolutely make up for that, McTominay can just stick to doing what he does best. Yeah. And uh, yeah, look, he's doing a good job of it at the moment. Uh, but yeah, at some point, surely he's going to be challenged over there. Uh, and so we look at the two lineups from these two games and it is the ones where you can compare. I mean, the other one, uh, Luke Shaw came out for a 20-minute run out. Uh, Malassia has taken his place. Yeah. He had, Luke, you know, Luke Shaw's been called up for England, even though I think that Southgate's made quite a mistake over here, calling up the likes of Maguire, calling up the likes of Shaw. And it's not just that, other players whether it's um, Chilwell, whether it's Mount, whether it's Phillips, who have barely played much this season at all. But because they did well for him in the past, he's stuck with them. I mean, I personally don't think that is the way to go. But yeah, that is the way Southgate is going. And uh, Maguire and Shaw are both called up. We'll see if they actually play. Um, but yeah, look, I, again, Malassia has done absolutely brilliantly. I've said before on this podcast that he's been the real surprise for me. Uh, you know, he we barely paid anything for him. He didn't have that much experience. Whereas the likes of, you know, Martinez, Anthony, Ericsson, they're all like international players. Malassia's barely just broken into that kind of Netherlands squad and had not played much like European football or anything like that. So for him to have come in and done as well as he's done, I think, yeah, he's been the absolute standout, like surprise for me so far this season. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Luke Shaw's got a massive fight on to get his place back. No, I, I, I agree with you completely. And I, I 
from from the first time I saw Malassia play in preseason, I thought this this kid could actually be a really good player. You could just see it then, um, and I thought that Shaw once if if Shaw didn't start well in the season, that Malassia would would take his place and um, he'd have a job on displacing him. Um, I I can understand why Southgate picked Shaw because, well, I'd, how many how many left backs do England have? We've got like 20 right-backs, but how many left-backs do we have? Well, I mean, yeah, Chilwell is also in there, who has not been playing. He's lost his place to Cucurella. So, yeah, both of the kind of, you'd say, left-back options have not necessarily been starters over there. Um, I think Trippier, is he in there? I think he's thrown him in at left-back before as well. Yeah, yes, yeah. So, yeah, there isn't a lot of options. So, yeah, stuck with them, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think it's important that Shaw got those minutes because... It is a long and busy season and he needs to be up to speed because Malassia, even though he's a young kid, and I believe that, you know, you can play a young kid five game, five day, games a week and they should, should be able to play every 90 minutes every time because they are so young. But um, sure, he's going to have to take minutes. He's going to have to take minutes because the, the fixture list is going to become very congested very quickly, especially now that these two games have been cancelled. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be after the World Cup now that these games put in the system. But when we do get back to playing in two weeks' time, we will be playing twice a week. I mean, even less every like three, three days, basically. So, yeah, he is going to need to use the squad. And that's why he has been trying to introduce Casemiro, bringing in Shaw, giving some minutes to Maguire. As I say, look, Shaw and Maguire are very lucky to still be in the England squad. And, uh, you know, one player who has not been picked for England has been Jaden Sancho scored our opening goal here and was the one who made it comfortable. Uh, it was a very classy goal, uh, reminiscent of the goal he scored a few weeks ago where he just took that little bit of time in the box to make the right bit of composure and just stick it in the corner. Uh, and, you know, Sancho is having a good season so far after really, really not hitting it last year. I mean, there was a few flashes when... Um, I've forgotten his name now, German coach who came in and did our interim Ragnick. box. <laughs> yeah, Ralph Ranick, I'd already forgotten about him. But yeah, when he first came in, it looked like Sancho might do a little bit better. But yeah, in terms of goals, in terms of assists, he did very little for us. Yeah. Nowhere near paying us back for the amount of money we paid for him. But this year, he's got a few assists. Now he's got three goals on the board. Uh, and I say, they're the kind of opening important goals that have got us on the board there and help us feel comfortable. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's a player who should be knocking on the door for getting into that England squad. Um, yeah. De- you have to be happy where Sancho is playing now. Right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, I think Sancho has benefited greatly from having players like Ericsson around him who can play that more intricate style of football. And uh, the, the sort of the style of football we are playing now is... A, a, a lot more compatible with Sancho's game than perhaps the game we played under Rolly and uh, the game that uh, the squad forced us to play under Rangnick. Yeah, and you see a player like Jack Grealish called up who's done absolutely nothing this season. Uh, you know, players like Sancho still get pelters for the amount we paid for him. It hardly gets mentioned that Manchester City paid £100 million for Jack Grealish and uh, he barely even gets off the yeah. bench. Uh, you know, he's a bit lost over there. But I guess because City are doing well, it doesn't become as much of an issue. Whereas because we weren't doing well, uh, the papers and media like to pile it all in over there, uh, mention over there. But uh, look, I I think 
as far as I see, this is the last England squad before the World Cup. And so, yeah, I don't know where Southgate's going to change many things. He says things are open. Maybe there'll be a couple of injuries and things like that. I mean, Marcus Rashford, of course, has not been called up. It's not 100% clear whether that's just because he's injured or whether he's still out of favour. I mean, he's another one who definitely deserves to be in there based on what he's done so far this season. Yeah. I mean, that's the weird thing. Like, Sancho and Rashford deserve to be in the England squad a lot more than Maguire and Shaw. Um, I, I, but yeah, I, mean, I think it's different, though, because we've got so much attacking the talent in the England, squ- England team, England squad, that... It, it, it is hard for players like Sancho and Rashford to get in, whereas Maguire, I think, even off form, he is better than most of the centre backs in the England setup. Yeah, it's true. You're looking at who else comes in over there. I mean, maybe Ben White is not there. I mean, Mings has been in the past, but he's not even a guaranteed starter at Villa nowadays. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, as I say, Grealish has done nothing. Uh, Mason Mount has done very little this season. Uh, Bakaya Saka has only scored, I think, one goal so far this season. So, yeah, there's a lot of players who are getting picked because of what they've done before rather than anything to do with how they're playing at the moment this season. Yeah. And I can kind of understand Southgate doing that. I mean, these players got him to a final. But at the same time, don't forget, Marcus Rashford was a big part of the squads that have got to, like, uh, semi-final and final before as well. I mean, um, the ridiculous thing about Grealish is Southgate hates him and he just won't start him at all anyway. So... But he used to bring him on a lot. He he'd bring him off off the bench for like half an hour here and there, like in most matches in those in that kind of Euros that we went to. He was playing, even though he wasn't starting. He was still giving yeah. him like most matches. He was getting twenty minutes here, thirty minutes there. Uh, and well, anyway, as I say, we've got this international break coming up that really ruins our kind of season. You know, this season is was already going to be a weird one with the World Cup coming in the middle of it. To throw in these like couple of cancellations is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I said straight away that I was thought the FA made an absolute terrible decision when they cancelled that first weekend of games. It seemed to be quite a kind of knee-jerk reaction to everything because... You know, cricket matches were going on, rugby was going on, golf, whereas football decided to cancel everything that first weekend. And the worst thing about it was that because the funeral has been the week after, that I actually, you know, I think it's fair enough that our game is cancelled yeah. this week. Yeah, absolutely. Because there just isn't police around. That's a legitimate reason. You know, all the Manchester police have been called into London to be dealing with like that. So there isn't enough. That, so for me, that is a worthy reason for there not being a game this week. But there was no good reason for cancelling the match the first weekend. And then we started hearing kind of rumours coming out saying that the FA were worried about kind of the reactions from some kind of the crowd. But that makes no sense either, because we've still seen those reactions like a week yeah, later. Yeah. Uh, you know, we saw Liverpool fans absolutely massacring and ruining a minute silence that they had to turn off after about 20 seconds because they can't manage to behave for a minute. I mean, we've also seen maybe like Celtic fans as well putting up banners and things like that, quite anti-monarchy. And I actually say, look, fair enough, they're entitled to their kind of opinion. But uh, when like minute silences are called for, then I don't see how people can't just respect something like that for like 60 seconds. No, it's not, not uh, difficult, I did is think, it? No. And I did think that, you know, Rangers fans had put up quite a great kind of uh, display off the Queen's Head and the Union Jack and I've heard the national anthem being sung around quite a bit grounds even tonight I just was had a quick watch while Aston Villa were playing and you could hear the national anthem being sung and for me that was the best way to kind of uh, yeah commemorate the passing of the Queen was everybody in the stadiums packed stadiums singing the national anthem I mean cancelling these games was an awful awful decision 
And, uh, you know, now at some point we're going to have to fit all these matches in, but it's not going to be before the World Cup. No. It's definitely going to be after and probably yeah, it's going to go on to the new year now and we'll have some kind of fixture congestion, I, th- I guess. I think last week's games were due to be re- reset for the 17th and 18th of Jan. I could be wrong, but I think that's what I saw somewhere. Yeah, it'll be the new year where all these have to get fit in over there. Uh, and yeah, we'll see how it all works out at that point, I guess. Um, but yeah, look, let's go back to that Tiraspol game. I mean, we did down talk Ronaldo, but he did get his first goal of the season and uh, has got his first ever Europa League goal. So at least something for him to tick off on his box there. Uh, it wasn't the best penalty from him, though, either. Uh, you know, it was straight down the middle rather than a nice blaster into the corner. He did yeah, hit it, though. It was still powerful. It was, at least, look, and at least he's got his name on the kind of score sheet. Uh, and look, I still think he can be an important player for us this season. Uh, I hope it's more kind of from the bench rather than starting. But I think, you know, if we're chasing a game, his kind of heading ability with crosses coming in can be important for us later on in matches. Um, but yeah, I'm just not seeing it from the start. You see the big difference from when we have somebody like Rashford who's running in, trying to get in behind, whereas Ronaldo's just slowing everything down Ball's coming in. It's just not working for us. And he's just not linking in well with Sancho. He's not linking in well with Anthony. and just doesn't really work for us at and, all. And it's not just that. It's the compulsion from players like Bruno, who, you know, Ronaldo was probably his, his hero growing up. And so whenever he sees Ronaldo put his arm up, he will just pass him the ball because it, it, it's like it's hardwired into him to do that. Um, and it just it just does not, it rarely ever works. I, I, I don't, has it ever? Has it ever worked? I don't. I, I can't think of a time where um, Bruno to Ronaldo link up and goal happened, but I'm sure. I'm sure that's just me not remembering. They've not linked up well ever. It's true. Even for Portugal, I don't think they ever have. I mean, of course, there has been a few times, but they've just never really seemed to be on the same wavelength at all. Um, look, we're going to take a quick break over there, and on the other side, we'll finish off talking about the Europa look ahead to some of the things that will be coming after the international break, touch on the kind of women's super league as well that is kicking off kind of this weekend. But yeah, see you in a second. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we are back. I mean, look, let's round off this kind of Tiraspol game. I mean, it was a random place to go to, out to Moldova. Uh, I think it's the first time we've been over there. Sometimes you think as well when you go and play these teams that it's like the biggest game in their history. Yeah. But actually, it wasn't no. for Sheriff Tiraspol because they beat Real Madrid last season. So, you know, they're no work walkovers. They can pull out performances. But yeah, that's why I was slightly worried. Like, is this one of those kind of random banana skills uh, skins that we get out? You know, under Ole, we went out to what Istanbul Bashekshi here and came back with a loss. And we have had random games like that where you just think, oh, surely we're going to walk over over here and it just doesn't happen. But this time it was pretty easy. You know, we went in 2 0 at half time and the second half was a bit of a non event. It gave the manager a chance to throw in a few players, change a few things. I mean, what, one of the interesting bits has been actually right back where, look, Dallow's been playing really well this season. 
I think he's a player that deserves quite a lot of credit. He's taken a lot of stick. I think not many fans thought that he is good enough to be our first choice right back, but he's been given a chance. And I think he's taken that chance really well. Uh, I think he's linking pretty well as well with Anthony. I mean, they're obviously two players who talk the same language, Portuguese, Brazilian. Um, but I think Dallo is really doing well, but still, we do need some kind of backup. I mean, Aaron Wan-Bissaka is still here, but he has been injured. So in those couple of games, we've seen uh, Victor Lindelof had like, I think, 20 minutes or so at right back in the one match. Yeah. And then we saw Malassia switch to right back this time as well. Uh, so you can see Ten Hag is definitely thinking about what other options do I have on that kind of right side, uh, especially if Wan-Bissaka's out. Um, and, you know, there was one kind of point in that match where I think we were talking in our uh, uh, Patreon Discord about we didn't really know where Malassia had gone after he bought on shore. Yeah. He kind yeah. of looked like he was a bit midfield or whatever, but I think he was playing yeah. uh, nominally right back, right? Yeah, I think he was uh, right back. It, but he, he was sort of, I don't know if that's because he is predominantly left footed, so he was sort of cutted inside a little bit and uh, drifted into the midfield where he was perhaps a little bit more comfortable and had more space with his left foot. Uh, yeah, I think Dallow's been good. He's definitely taken his chance. I, I, I was, I've always supported Dallow over Aaron Wambisaka. I thought Dallow is the better footballer and just needed the opportunity. But I, I, I do also have this feeling that there is that much in his defensive game that needs to improve. That perhaps he's. If we want to be winning winning trophies soon, he's not necessarily the right back we need now. He's the right back we would want to develop, and I don't know if you've got he's got the time that we that that he needs to be the right back we want. But yeah, I, I, Lindelof did fine. Lind, but I, again, not necessarily comfortable in that position. I, I trust him over Aaron Wan-Bissaka, if I'm honest. But that that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've not seen anything of Aaron Wan-Bissaka this season. It has been partly due to injury. I mean, we'll have to see when he comes back in there. But I think, you know, I talked about striker definitely being the priority whenever we get to the next window. I mean, right back is still a kind of problem area for us as well. Uh, you know, after striker, I'd say that's the next kind of area we do need to look at. But I think Dallow is making a real claim to say that he does deserve to actually be a kind of first choice right back yeah. for us. I mean, if he keeps playing like he has been, then yeah, there's no reason why he can't be. We still need, will need some kind of backup. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see how he rolls on. Yeah. I mean, let's go to a couple of the questions that we had from Twitter. Uh, I mean, talking about the kind of reserves backup players, we had a question from Andy McCoy at MacAttack on Twitter. He said, do you think we'll start to see more of Iqbal in the first team? When will he get his chance? Feel like he's the only player in the squad that can deputise for what Ericsson brings. But obviously, he doesn't have any experience. I mean, Iqbal has been one of these players that's been promoted to the first team, along with Garnacho, McNeil, there's a couple of others that have been named uh, in our kind of Europa League squad, so it shows you where Ten Hag is on them. Um, I do not think we will, though, see much of Iqbal because, you know, still on the bench in the midfield area, we're going to have the likes of Fred, uh, either Casemiro or McTominay. I mean, people still forget about Donny van der Beek. He is still a Manchester United player. He has been injured, so that's why he's not been involved at all. But you think at some point, He's actually the one who I think is more likely to get some minutes yeah. if maybe Ericsson needs a rest. Or, you know, if you need a more defensive player, it'll be Fred, 
where uh, if you need that bit more creativity, then I think probably Van der Beek is going to be the one who gets those minutes. I think it's going to be difficult for Iqbal to be getting any game time. Uh, he is actually called up for international football as well. Uh, you know, he's chosen to represent Iraq, so maybe he might get some game time in the international break. But yeah, he's still playing as well some minutes for the under-21s. Some of these players, even though they're training with the first team, like Garnacho, McNeil, Iqbal, are still playing in the youth matches uh, when they need to, to make sure they're keeping fresh. But probably, I think Iqbal is going to end up needing to have a loan himself to push himself on, yeah. like some of the others we've had sent out there. I mean, I, I, unless we have some kind of injury crisis, I can't see him getting much game time at all. No, no, I agree. And I, I think perhaps the promotion is more a case of uh, Ten Hag wants to see how he does with the first team and uh, experience thing for him, you know, getting involved with the first team and, and um, progressing his game a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, it is a great opportunity for him. I mean, he's benefited from the fact that we sold James Garner, basically. Mm. I think a lot of people expected that Garner would come in, be fighting from the bench to be getting some minutes, but he's been sold. So that's why Iqbal has been promoted probably ahead of his kind of time into the first team squad. But he's still, you're looking at being kind of like, you know, fifth choice. Yeah. And it's only if we have some like massive injury crisis that I think we'll get any game time at all. Because uh, there's still other players if we're rotating and need some game time there. And then the next question from Twitter comes from Said United, uh, Nazir Abu Ismail on Twitter. He says, what can United do to mitigate the lack of matches to keep match sharp? Maybe they can arrange a closed-door friendly. Uh, I mean, a lot of our players are going to be out on international duty. So it's not like they're all going to be sitting around for the next couple of weeks. Some of them are not, like I say, you know, obviously Sancho has not been called up. Uh, there'll be a couple of others who aren't there, but the majority of that squad are going to go off now. Uh, I think at the same time, it's good for some of them to get a break. Yeah. And I think it will benefit Ten Hag to have this extra kind of time on the training field. I mean, we don't forget that he's still only a couple of months in. He's still a long way from totally implementing his philosophy and his way of playing. Uh, you know, I do actually think that he's reverted to go in a bit more solid and a bit more kind of on the break than he'd like to. Uh, you know, eventually, I think we'll be seeing a, a different style of football come out from him, uh, more progressive, a bit more attacking. And he, look, I think he'll be really happy to have time with players like Sancho without the kind of need to be, you know, thinking about a game every three games. But uh, maybe he'll pull out a closed-door friendly. We have seen this happen before, uh, just pre-season. Well, who do we play? I think it was somebody like Wrexham or something like that uh, that we pulled out for a pre-season friendly. And yeah, maybe we'll see something like that. But I just think that Ten Hag will be happy to have that extra time on the training field with some of these players. And there isn't going to be that many of them there. Like I say, a lot of them are out on international duty. There's not that many of them will be sticking around. So I don't think it's that much of an issue. Even though it seems like United have no match for two weeks, most of our players are going to be involved in these international games. As I say, all the teams who are going to the World Cup, this is one of their last chances to be deciding who is going to be in their World Cup squad. I mean, we're only now two months, basically, to when we break up for the World Cup. Uh, you know, we have two weeks off now, and then it's basically six weeks of two matches every week. And then we stop for the World Cup and we don't come back till after Christmas. So, yeah, this season is going to be really bizarre. And, you know, is, I think... Is Ericsson called up? Has he gone to... I haven't actually no, looked I've at who I would assume he yeah. has been. 
I've only really taken a close look at the England squad, to be honest. But yeah, I would assume that he has been, and I'm pretty sure he's integral to that kind of Danish Definitely, team. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, probably the one player in our yeah. squad that I'd say needs a bit of a rest, but yeah. Yeah, a few of them will certainly be going off to South America to play for Brazil. Um, look, several of players, but even the likes of, you know, Lindelof, he's, I think he's still like the Swedish captain. Uh, Langer is uh, in the Swedish squad. So yeah, several of them. There's not going to be many players sticking around. And as well, the one benefit as well is that it gives somebody like Marcus Rashford time to get back from injury. Yeah. The few others who were out injured, you know, these couple of weeks, hopefully they can come back the other side and be ready to contribute. Because, uh, you know, our fixture schedule when we come back is going to be pretty mental. I mean, yeah, it starts off with the Manchester derby against Manchester City. Uh, then we go, we're actually going to have three away matches in a row when we come back in basically the space of a week. It's City, uh, Ammonia, Nicosia and Everton away. Uh, is our next three matches and then we have three home matches in a row so we have the return leg of Nicosia uh, Newcastle at home and Spurs at home so that's our kind I mean, of that's, most of our October no, those games aren't easy, easy either you can always expect a game from Everton and you can always expect to get well you can expect a game from Newcastle now yeah, yeah, Newcastle, Camber team and Spurs. And as I say, Manchester City and uh, Irving Haaland, who's absolutely been smashing it, sadly. I was really hoping <laughs> he didn't settle or got an injury or something. But no, he's absolutely proven that he's the player that we all feared he might be. Uh, and I don't know if you saw some of these quotes that came out today from the ex-Mold chief executive. And he said that uh, Ole had recommended Haaland to United while he was still mole manager, and apparently United didn't take it that seriously, and you know maybe just took it with a pinch of salt or something. But he said that look, Ole said to me while he was here as mole manager, when first time he saw Haaland, he said, "Listen, we have to call Manchester United today and tell them immediately you need to buy this player." And I don't think that happened. Of course, we know that when Ole became United manager, he did make kind of overtures to try and get Haaland to come to United. Uh, but I think maybe anyway, maybe Haaland was never coming to United. I don't, you know, he was, a, no. he was a boy whose father played for Manchester City and Leeds. Yeah. I think he was probably brought up hating Manchester United more than anything. So possibly it was unlikely. But we know he did come and visit Old Trafford. He did come to talk to Ole and Ole did mentor him when he was young. So there was that connection. So yeah, who really knows what happened over there? So, but anyway, look, he's ended up at City. He's absolutely smashing it, unfortunately. Uh, we're not going to preview that City game on this show. We will come back and do another show uh, during the international break and do that. But yeah, that is our next game, the Manchester derby away. Yeah. Fun. Well, <laughs> so, like, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be see how we can stop him over there. Um, I mean, look, at least we've got some points on the board in this Europa League. As I say, our next two matches are the two games away in Cyprus and then at home. I mean, on paper, they are actually the weakest team in the group. They got beaten by Sheriff in the first game. So you're assuming we're going to win those two matches. And then that more or less sees us qualified as we, if we do. Yeah, yeah. Three, six points from those two matches. That's nine points on the board. You just need the extra point, and that should see us through into the into the into the final round. We we need to finish first, though, don't we? Otherwise, we have to play one of the Champions League uh, dropouts, don't we? Yeah, there is normally benefits to coming first over there. So yeah, it would be ideal. 
but you know, after that bad start of losing to Sociodath, and you know, of course, qualification is just the main aim. Uh, we will finish off with a game against them before playing Sheriff at Old Trafford as well. So yeah, we can still definitely come top. But yeah, as long as we come through that group, and it would be great to come through this group and have like an easy dead rubber at the end of it. I mean, that might be the game where you might see somebody like Zidane Iqbal get a run out if we do. Yeah. We saw Ole do this in the past where he gave loads of youth team players a game. And that game when we went out to Astana, I think there was about eight or nine youth team players who made their like debut in that match over there. Um, but yeah, that's the only opportunity that you might see to have something like that. But yeah, as long as we get these points and get through that, then as I say, it's back after the World Cup that all this kicks off again. Yeah. Uh, there is one kind of Carling, I still call it the Carling Cup, but yeah, the Carabao Cup game that was thrown in in November as well. But apart from that, like I say, it's Europa League and League is the big focus that we go. Uh, you know, our other games just to fill in until we get to the World Cup. After we play Spurs, we then get Chelsea away. Uh, Sheriff at home, West Ham at home, Sociedad away. And we have two games against Villa, one in the league, one in the cup. And then we finish off with Fulham away. And then, yeah, we're breaking up for the World Cup and not, not coming back until after Christmas. Our October and November are actually really, really difficult games. West Ham's not easy I mean, either. Look, what, what are easy games nowadays? Well, yeah, uh, we, I mean, the, the only team I would sort of definitely, definitely expect us to be is um, Fulham. I mean, I expect expect it to be all even of, Fulham yeah. are doing well. Fulham are doing pretty well this season. It's not a gimme at all. Uh, you know, nowadays there isn't many matches where you say, "Look, that's an easy match." I mean, yeah, maybe we played Leicester at a good time. Uh, Forest have not started the season that well, but there isn't that many matches that you play nowadays where you just think, "Look, it's an absolute like walkover." We used to get these back in the day, but nowadays, no. even like the bottom teams, like the level has come a lot higher than it used to be. It's because they all play football these days. Before, they, they used to, uh, you know, get 11 men behind the ball and sort of eke out a draw. Whereas nowadays, a lot, a lot of teams in the Premier League play football. And I think that does make a difference. I think as well that the amount of money sloshing around oh, yeah, the Premier absolutely, League. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, you, we've seen like the likes of Forest get promoted and they've bought like 20 new players. Yeah. Fulham have spent a quite, fair bit of money. The only team that have hardly spent any money are Bournemouth. And, you know, that showed her there. But even their new manager has managed to get some kind of bounce after, out of them after Scott Parker has left. Yeah. And they, they managed to get a win the other day. So even Bournemouth are managing to turn around something there. But that is the thing. The amount of money in the Premier League is absolutely crazy. I mean, you see like bottom half Premier League teams spending more than top teams who are in the Champions League in Germany and France, even in Spain, like, you know, the kind of Atletico Madrid, you know, they don't have a big budget. No. Uh, so you see, like, players that go to West Ham or stuff like that, and a lot of people are shocked that the players they can pull in. Uh, they got this Paqueta who everybody thought, look, he deserves to be playing in the Champions League, and he's ended up at West Ham. But, yeah, that's it. The money that's around the Premier League nowadays is mental. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we see a lot of these, you know, another thing that's been in the news this week is all about the American owners coming in. I mean, it's a shame we didn't have Ushwin on today who we could all like uh, throw pelters at for uh, the Chelsea guy coming in and talking about Super League games, uh, all-star matches. We see as well. In fact, Bournemouth, I think, are now subject to a bid from some like Las Vegas consortium 
I think it's a little bit sad. I mean, our, obviously, our owners were the first American owners to show up in the Premier League. And our fans have hated them since day one. So, yeah, it's nothing new to them. But since then, you know, Liverpool have ended up with an American owner. Arsenal have an American owner. We've seen these guys coming in one by one. And even the likes of, you know, I think Burnley had some US investment before they got relegated. And I say there's now some consortium sniffing around uh, Bournemouth. Uh, I mean, I, I just, I, want, I mean, what do you think about this? Do you think it's something the government should try and do something about? Or is it just, you know, there's nothing you can do about it? It's the way the game's gone. Uh, it depends on the owner. I mean, I, I don't appreciate the sports, wa- sports washing with um, the Arab countries. Um, nor R- Roman Abramovich should never have been allowed to buy Chelsea. But it, ultimately, if, if a, a billionaire can afford to buy a club, I feel as though the billionaire should be allowed to buy the club. Really? Uh, do you know, yeah, I, I mean, I was talking thought... more about specifically the amount of American owners that are ending up over there. And now we're here, you know, the, this uh, buck starts talking about saying that maybe the Premier League needs to learn from US sports. And I don't think many people have taken those comments too well. At no, all. and I think, I, think, I think that just shows an ignorance to the size of the Premier League, to be honest, as a marketing powerhouse. Uh yeah, the, the the Super Bowl does not touch the Premier League. No, I, I, no offense, Ashwin, but it just, it's, yeah, it, it it makes a lot of money. But when you when you consider the amount of people who watch the Premier League compared to the Super Bowl, it's just doesn't. It's not. It's not comparable. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little. I, I look as you say, if people can afford to buy and bring money into football, that's fine. I mean, the problem, of course, with our owners is that they haven't really bought no, no. any money into football. They've just been spending the money yeah. we already had. Um, but I, I do have a bit of an issue with it. I do also wonder, like, where are all of our English billionaires and why aren't they coming in and trying to keep hold of football clubs? I mean, all right, we did see the likes of Mike Ashley, who then has left uh, sold out and people were happy to see the back of him so it doesn't mean that things are any better because you have an English owner compared to a foreign owner to be fair you know there's plenty of awful English owners as well uh, so yeah we see from there but yeah I mean the big talk has been about Sir Jim Ratcliffe that everybody is hoping makes a bid for us at some point uh, you know he has bought Nice and he also owns some Swiss club who I now forget which one but yeah I kind of find it a bit bizarre that somebody like him uh who went out and bought a French team rather than buying well, an English team. But yeah, maybe you can make up for that by buying us and sorting out our ownership issues over there. I, th- I think he did say that like, uh, he wants to know what he's doing before he does that. Not, not specifically with us, but say with an English team, he wants to know what he's doing and learn, learn the ropes with, with regards to owning a football club and all the intricacies involved in sort of player negotiations, what have you, and all that sort of stuff. it's true he did come out and make that comment saying that you know it was a kind of stepping stone for him and uh, it was actually interesting this summer that Nice bought um, they bought Aaron Ramsey they bought Schmeichel uh, there was somebody else who went there Uh, Ross Barkley went there so they kind of picked up uh, quite a lot of the ex-Premier League players have ended up going to Nice under him over there but look apparently he still has an interest in buying Manchester United, it is still not clear if the Glazers want to sell. I mean, what I understand is that some of the Glazer siblings, because for those who don't know, uh, you know, when Malcolm Glazer bought us, he was the father of the kind of family. When he passed away, I think it's six K 
kind of sons and daughters who ended up being shareholders of Manchester United. The two we always see and hear about are Joel and Avram. And I think those two do genuinely have an interest in Manchester United and do work day to day at the club, not for the good. I wish they didn't. <laughs> I think since Joel Glazer has been spending more time giving his input into the club, things have definitely gone downhill. And I think it was better in the days actually when his dad was there and had very little to do with the club and just took the money and was just happy with how much profit he was getting and didn't really have any interest in the football. I think it actually worked better. But to be fair, he didn't have to do anything because he had Alex Ferguson and David Gill doing everything for him. Uh, you know, more lately, Joel Glazer has got more involved and it's definitely been a negative for the club. Uh, so, yeah, it's not clear still whether the Glazers do want to sell, whether they don't want to sell. Jim Radcliffe have made very clear that he is interested in buying and we're still waiting for some kind of concrete offer or something to happen over there. But, yeah, fingers crossed for something going on there. We will take another quick break and we will then just come back rounding off, having a quick look at the Women's Super League. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we are back. And uh, yeah, we were just touching on the Glazers and the ownership issues. I think, Ed, you wanted to bring something up, right? Yeah, yeah. I was just, we've not had an update on the fan share scheme and stuff. And um, I was just wondering what's going on with that at the moment. I had actually had a chat with a couple of guys from Most a couple of weeks ago. And I think they had put out. It's basically they put out a vote amongst Must members. And for anyone out there who doesn't know, Must are the Manchester United Supporters Trust. Uh, they're the kind of biggest supporter organisation we have. And they are the ones who've been deep in contact with the club. Uh, you know, this all kicked off after that European Super League stuff where the Glazers started promising that they would sell some of their shareholding to the fans. So must have been working on this for a long time. As I understand, it's been very difficult, very complicated. They were asking for certain things that the Glazers didn't necessarily want to give. And the big thing for a start was that the shares that were sold to fans had the same voting rights as the shares that the Glazers own. I mean, there is some shares that anybody can go and buy that are listed out in the American stock market. But if you buy one of those shares, you only have like one-tenth of the voting rights of a Glazer share. So even though something like 25% of our shares are sold on the stock market there, the Glazers still have overall power by far. So yeah, Musk said, look, we do not want to recommend the, we will not recommend these shares to our fans unless they're equal one-to-one -one shares. So as I understand, the Glazers have now agreed that that will happen. The other big thing Musk were asking for was saying any proceeds from these shares that are sold to fans have to be popped into the club and not go into the Glazers' pockets. And as you can understand, that's obviously been a massive sticking point. Again, from what I'm told, 
the Glazers have verbally agreed to this, but actually getting these things down on paper and actually getting it to happen is a different thing. Uh, if you're a must full subscribe member, you should have been sent an email asking you to vote about these kind of proposals. And then, yeah, we'll see from there. But that's what's been going on. The Glazers have agreed to some kind of concessions that what Musk were asking for. Uh, it'll only be a very small amount of shares. And I think the way Musk see it is that we'll start off with a small amount. And hopefully, if it, or they all get sold and works out, the fans can sell slowly, slowly build up a shareholding. That's the kind of long, long-term plan. And yeah, I think that is a good plan. I mean, a lot of people say, look, what's the point if you're only buying 2% of the club or something? You've got no say, but still, you know, I would say, well, 2% is still better than zero. Yeah, absolutely. It's better than the alternative, isn't it? Yeah, it's about, it's a step in the right direction, about giving fans some kind of say, uh, you know, at least getting a seat on the board. You know, cynical people will say, yeah, well, they'll give a fan a seat on the board, but they won't listen to anything they have to say. And I say, yeah, look, I totally understand the cynicism, but it's still better having that fan in the boardroom than the current situation when we don't have anyone in the boardroom and not giving any kind of opinions. And, you know, we have seen some things happen that have been good for the fans, whether it's to do with safe standing, whether it's to do with banners in the stadium and, you know, these kind of things, cheaper tickets for youngsters, uh, you know, a lot of things like that have come out of this and have helped the fan base. I mean, I know maybe a lot of our listeners are a global fan base and maybe don't know as much about what's happening actually in the stadium with ticketing and things like that. But of course, for season ticket holders and people who are going regularly, these things are very important and there has been positive moves on all these things. And yeah, I think credit has to go to Must for doing that kind of thing over there. Yep. Yep, definitely. And yeah, look, we will talk more. If people want to hear more about all the Glazer ownership stuff, do let us, you know, I do, we do always ask for feedback on Red Cafe, on Twitter. You let us know what you want to hear about and then, you know, we can cover it more, especially, you know, the next kind of show, we're probably not going to have a match to talk about. So we are, do let us know and they are Patreons as well. You let us know what you want us to be discussing on this show. You know, we can talk more about ownership issues. Uh, you know, I've taken more interest in the women's football. We will round up here talking about the women's Super League. I mean, I was really devastated for the women's game that those that weekend was called off last week, you know, because the FA decided to call off all football. It wasn't just Premier League football. It was every level. I mean, it actually went so ridiculous that my daughter who's supposed to have been playing an under-7s. It was actually supposed to be the first under-7s match of the season. Even that was called off. Uh, you know, what possible benefit is there like for grassroots football? Kids to be told, you can't play football uh, because the Queen's died. I mean, it just became absolutely ridiculous. Um, but anyway, as I say, the Women's Super League for opening weekend was cancelled. The big loss there was I had tickets to go to the opening Man United game that was going to be against Spurs and it was going to be in the main Tottenham Hospice Stadium. I mean, now we'll rearrange game. I don't know if that's going to happen. Oh, no. And this is going to be the big... Sh that's, that's it. It's going to be the big shame. Like, they sold a lot of tickets. Yeah. And, you know, other clubs as well had sold a record amount of tickets for that opening weekend after England Lionesses did so well in the summer. There was loads of interest for the women's game. And it was real, real killer for that first opening weekend to be stopped. But... Look, we're recording on a Friday night, so this show probably isn't going to come out till kind of Saturday or maybe even Sunday, depending on how our editors are, how busy they are this weekend. So by the time this comes out, probably Man United women are already going to have played because uh, at noon on Saturday will now be our opening game, which is now a home game against Reading. But it will be a record attendance. 
at our home stadium, Lee Sports Village. Uh, I think something like 6,000 tickets had already been sold and maybe there was still more and more being sold there, which will be a record attendance for the women at Lee Sports Village. Uh, they, you know, would expect to get more when they play at Old Trafford. But yeah, I hope that kind of momentum off the summer is not lost because of the postponement of that first weekend and that we can still some see some interest over there. Uh, and, you know, another time where people can take this interest in the women's game is while the World Cup is going on, that's not going to be any United games, but the women's matches are still going to be going on. And there is supposed to be, it's penciled in, that Man United women will play against Aston Villa at Old Trafford in December while the World Cup is going on. So, you know, if you're in Manchester area, that is one to go and get like hold of a ticket for as well. You know, it's a cheap way to get your kids to Old Trafford. Um, you know, we had uh, Adam on the last show who was very bullish about the season ahead. But yeah, as the transfer window closed, there was actually some really bad news for our women's team. There's one of our kind of star players, Jackie Groenen, who's a Dutch international, has moved to PSG at the very, very last minute end of the transfer window. Uh, so kind of killed some of that big hope. But yeah, hopeful that quite some of the other players can step up and make up for that. But yeah, some a lot of the women's fans I know were not happy about this and feel that she's kind of turned her back on the club. Uh, you know, she's been around for a couple of years, but yeah, she's made that move to PSG and left us over there literally at the last minute, just on the eve of the season starting. So now we know how some of these other clubs feel. You know, now we maybe know how Ajax feel when we show up on like the last day of the transfer window and say, yeah, we're going to throw you 100 mil for Anthony. And they say, look, well, how can we say no? Uh, you know, that's because our women's team are not one of the big clubs yet. They've never been in the Champions League. Uh, you know, French women's teams are very strong. Lyon have actually traditionally been the all-time greatest women's club and have won the most Women's Champions League. Barcelona are now paying a lot of money for a lot of players as well. Uh, so, yeah, we're still fighting to get into that kind of Champions League row with the women's side. But, yeah, we're hopeful this season will be the one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm going to try and take more of an interest, not an interest, more of a uh, pay more attention to the women's results this season. Yeah, look, we are going to try and cover it. And as I say, do like let us know if you want to hear more about the women's stuff, if you want to hear more about ownership issues. We're here to give you what you want. And we love it when people give us questions to answer on Twitter, as we've done Definitely. a couple of them on this show over here. Uh, Red Cafe listeners as well. We always like that feedback we get over there. And anyone who doesn't know, we get a lot of chat and comments about the show over here over on Red Cafe.net. So do head over there and have a listen. Uh, we are going to round this show up now. But, oh, no, yeah, I did want to mention that if you want to watch those Women's Super League matches, uh, BBC will now be televising a match a week. I think Sky has shown a couple of them. But any match that is not televised is available for free online on the FA Player. Oh, wow. Uh, so, for example, our match tomorrow against Reading, you can watch it for free online on the FA Player. So, yeah, just that is, you know, another great thing. You don't have to pay for it. Online, those matches are available to stream. And even if you want to go to these matches in the stadium, it's dirt cheap, like six, seven quid compared to 40, 50 quid you pay for the men's games. So yeah, go and have a look and keep an eye on what's going on with the women there. And I hope they have a good start to this season against Reading tomorrow. Uh, we will round off now the show over here. I'm sure most people are normally used to us doing a kind of Manscaped blurb. I will let you all know that you will be happy to hear that we have actually now ended our sponsorship with Manscaped. <laughs> Uh, so you won't have to hear those slightly cringeworthy adverts anymore. I mean, yeah, I didn't ever used to like doing it myself, but it was a necessary evil 
to keep this podcast going and to keep it free for everybody out there. But yeah, we have now finished with Manscaped. We are now talking to a couple of people about getting a new sponsor on the show, but you don't have to listen to that one anymore. Uh, please do go and check out our Twitter. Like I say, we had some really good questions for this show on Twitter. Let us know on there if you want any more. Uh, thank you very much to our Patreon guys. We have had a few more subscribers over there and a few more have joined us in our match day discord that is one of the perks if you sign up with patreon you can join us on discord and anybody as well who is in our top tier on patreon i hope we do say on that if any of you want to come and guest on the show you are welcome to do so uh, so drop us a line over there yeah yeah uh, so yeah over patreon.com just search for united hour there and yeah i think that's about it for this week right ed we will come back with another show towards the end of the international break where we'll focus on previewing that kind of heavy october schedule we've got and the manchester derby uh but yeah look i always just say the main thing is fingers crossed none of our players get injured in international break that's the yeah. only thing i always wish for in international definitely, break definitely no injuries maybe Maguire. that's fine <laughs> harsh harsh no look I, I look i actually i hope look if Maguire gets gay time i hope he can oh yeah himself yeah back into form i've got a lot of sympathy uh, for him I'm, i do have a lot of sympathy and I, you can see that eric ten Hag is trying to give him minutes i do always find it a little bit weird he came on for the last two minutes and they did this kind of armband swap thing where bruno yeah, goes yeah. over to give his armband to him for the still last two minutes which i still find a little bit weird but anyway, I guess he is officially still the club captain. Yeah. But yeah, look, I hope he, I hope Shaw and Maguire do get some game time and can play themselves back into form. It can only benefit Manchester United if they do. Absolutely. You know, if we have a big battle for places, it's only good for us. Uh, but yeah, we will leave it there for now. We'll see you, like I say, back at towards the end of this international break. Uh, in, enjoy the time off from football. Look out for the women's results. And yeah, we'll see you back reviewing all those over there. Good night from me. Yeah, good night. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.